We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Amen. If you have a Bible today, let's open up to John chapter 13. How many of you guys put Christmas lights up on your house, just out of curiosity? Okay, keep your hands up for a second. All right, and how many of you still have Christmas lights on your house? Okay, cool. All right. You know what? I hope you don't mind, but I noticed that the Christmas lights are still up all around the neighborhood. And so I thought it would be okay to have uh, one more Christmas study. And tonight in John chapter 13, we're going to look at uh, various passages. We'll begin here in John 13. But in order to answer that question, why did God become a man? You know, many years ago when I studied at the university, I majored in philosophy because there's something within me that always asks that question, why? You know, why Christmas? Why the commotion? Why do 2.5 billion people celebrate this holiday, right? And when you trace that question, you come to that fundamental question, which is, well, then why did God become a man? And, and just as a quick side note, just in case you didn't know, Jesus was God. He is God. The infant born that night was infinitely beyond a baby, more than a mere man. Uh, Jesus is God, and that's what took place on Christmas Day. We know John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. You know, and so, you know, there's no doubt about it that Jesus is God. He was God. There's that classic passage in Isaiah 7, 14, quoted in Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so, you know, someone says, hey, wait a minute, time out. I thought his name was Jesus, Right. And you look at that, and you're right, he was introduced, and there's significance in his name, Jesus. But when you really got to know him beyond his name, you would discover his nature. And his nature, when you got to know him there, you would call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. You know, the Bible explicitly says this in 1 Timothy 3.16. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifested in the flesh. And so that Christmas night, actually probably nine months prior to that, God was conceived within the womb of Mary, born, you know, Christmas night, but first coming into the world perhaps the size of a grain of rice, and God became a man. And so, you know, we wonder why. And there are many things that we can share regarding that, but let me give you four reasons why God became a man And I'll give them to you, and then we'll kind of break them down. Number one is to teach us, to teach us. Number two is to help us, to help us. Number three is to show us, to show us. And then number four, the one I'm sure you guys all know if you're Christians, and that is to save us, to teach us, to help us, to show us, to save us. And so he became one of us in order to do all these things. And we see the first thing here. In John chapter 13, notice what it says in verse 13. Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, 
and you say, well, for so I am. So Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. I'd like to hone in on the title teacher. You know, 46 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as teacher. You know, in the very beginning of his ministry, if you go over to Matthew 5, verse 2, the Bible says he opened his mouth and taught them. This was one of his primary tasks as he came to earth. And he bears that special title even in a special way. So much so that Jesus said to the people in Matthew 23, verse 10, And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, and that is the Christ. You see, the Father sent the Son to teach us as the final prophet, described in Hebrews 1, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. And so it's for that reason that we read in Matthew 7, 29, that Jesus taught them as one having authority, and not as the other teachers of the day. See, when Jesus came as the teacher, sent God become man, it was like none of the other random rabbis or typical teachers. He is the epitome of the prophet. And so he came to teach us. And he didn't come to teach us reading, writing, or arithmetic. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. You guys all studied that, right? You know, we need that type of education to make it on earth, but that's not the type of knowledge we need to make it to heaven. And so Jesus came to teach us spiritual truth. And I'm so blessed that he has, you know. I mean, who are we? We discover who we are when we study the words of Christ, you know. We're a sheep, we're children, we're a bride. You know, what are we? Jesus taught us that we're salt on the earth, right? And as salt, we're supposed to be salty and preservatives, right? We're supposed to make people thirsty for God. Jesus taught us that we're the lights, you know, and he said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Jesus taught us that hate harbored in the heart is murder. Jesus taught us that if you look at a woman to lust after her, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Essentially, what he taught us there is that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, right? I mean, he taught us uh, how to pray. He gave us the model prayer. Uh, he taught us what to do. Well, let me ask you guys this. What do you do if someone slaps you on the cheek? Give them a karate chop, right? That's what you do, right? <laughs> no, Jesus taught us what to do. You turn the other cheek. I don't know if you've ever been slapped. Maybe some of you have. Now you know what to do. And not just slapped, um, perhaps insulted. What do we usually do? Fight fire with fire. We insult them back. Well, that's not what Jesus taught us to do, right? I mean, he taught us uh, that marriage is sacred. And what God has joined together, he reiterated, let not man separate. You know, he taught us how to treat our enemies. I mean, if you have any enemies, people that don't like you for whatever reason, you know, he taught us what to do. He said, don't get mad, get even. No, I'm just joking. He didn't say that, right? <laughs> What did he say? He said, love your enemies and pray for them. You see, God came to earth to teach us these things. We read that in Matthew 5, verse 44. And so, you know, I do encourage you to study the Bible and learn what your Lord taught. That's why he came. That's why God became a man and was born on Christmas Day. 
to teach us spiritual truth. Number two, to help us in times of need. And for that, I was wondering if you can go to Hebrews chapter 2. There's actually a few passages in here in, in Hebrews that are great, you know, Christmas passages, to be honest with you. In Hebrews chapter 2, notice what the Bible says in verse 14. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. In other words, he also partook in flesh and blood, the incarnation, right? That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, not to offend anyone, but the truth is, apart from God, we're ignorant and we need to be taught. You're not going to learn these things in the university. Apart from God, we're also impotent we're weak and we desperately need help you see god came to, to teach us and god came to more effectively help us you know i don't know about you guys i'm one of those uh i'm weird i'm one of those dumb guys i don't like to ask for help you know i mean you know you want to move furniture around i'll get me a two-wheeler dolly a furniture dolly you know i'll just kind of i could do it you know and my wife is saying, you know, you're getting old. She was telling me that the other day. And uh, she's saying, you know, you, you need help, man. I, I had to move some furniture. So, you know, I have a buddy who has big biceps and a big heart. And uh, I said, hey, bro, can you come and help me? And uh, bottom line, it's as simple as that. Can't do it on our own. We need help. When we're tested, we need help when we're Tempted, And so what happened was Jesus took on flesh and blood. We read here in our text to defeat the devil and deliver us from the bondage. Here it is, the bondage of sin and death. There's something within us that has an inclination to sin. And left to ourselves, that's what we will do. We will blow it every day of our life. Whenever we cross that bridge, whenever, you know, there's the, the holy headlock in marriage and you find yourself doing it over and over and over again, the reason is because you're doing it on your own strength. You're not accessing the power that God provides. And so Jesus here takes on flesh and blood to, delete, to de deliver us from the bondage. And, and notice it says in there in verse 16, it says he gives aid. Notice, he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. That's us. The seed of Abraham is in reference to the physical and spiritual descendants of Abraham. You know, and so we read the same thing. Notice again in verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted or tested, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You see, God became a man to more effectively help us when we're 
tested, when we're tempted, because he's actually been here on this planet among these types of people living in these types of bodies and has gone through what we go through. And that's powerful. I mean, there's nothing like that. And I remember years back, a man I knew wanted to better understand and minister to the homeless people. And at first he would visit them uh, each day and return to his home. But he soon discovered that that wasn't enough. In order to fully understand the homeless people, he left his home and lived with them and became homeless himself. And then he can understand them and minister to them. This really is the only way to actually know their lives. That's just the way it is. You know, I mean, we can have a degree in whatever it is. For example, um, myrmecology. Do you guys know what myrmecology is? Myrmecology is the scientific study of ants, little ants, right? Insects. Um, But if you really think about it, uh, it doesn't matter if you have a degree, how can we actually know what it's like to be an ant, an insect? You become Ant-Man, right? That's probably the only way you could know what it's like. Or, you know, maybe, how about a spider, Spider-Man, you know? Um, I mean, trying to get that processing through our, our minds. I mentioned these funny illustrations as attempts to help us realize the, the, what happens, the power, the purpose in putting ourselves in someone else's shoes to that degree. And that's exactly what God did. That's part of the reason he became a man with us and like us in order to help us. What's wrong with the world today? Sin. What's wrong in that marriage over there that's on the rocks? Sin. What's wrong with that you know, Christian over there who should be so much more, but they're not? Sin. I mean, sin, that's the problem. You blame it on the devil? The devil made you do it? The devil can't make you do anything. We have the the choice. We are free moral agents. We have a volition within us. And what Jesus Christ came to do is to, to be one of us and to be tempted just like we go through those temptations so that when we're there, he can say, I've been there. Let me tell you what to do. Here's the passage to focus on. Here's, you know, the way out. Here's how you can overcome and win over sin. See, that's what happened when God came to earth. You know, it's interesting. The word translated aid here in verse 16 and verse 18, the word aid, it literally means to run to the cry of a child. And so you guys are Christians. You're children of God. You cry out to him. What ends up happening is he'll help you there. Uh, The other day I was in the garage and uh, I was studying and I received a text message from my wife. It simply said, I need help. And so there I am in the garage. I don't know what that means. I didn't know what was going on. But I tell you what, I immediately went went inside the house. It turns out that she needed help stirring the cookie dough, right? (laughs) And, and to be honest with you, I'm totally okay with that because I know that means I get to eat more uh, cookies when I help her, right? But, but, you know, just as I helped my wife when she needed it and called me, God helps us when we call. And, and since he became a man and took on human flesh, he can actually help us 
And as I know it's hard to, to understand, but this is what the Bible teaches. Now he can help us more effectively with more, even more sympathy, empathy. And he's even able to help us do this personally. Why? Because he's been here. Prior to the incarnation, Jesus was spirit without a body, unable to identify with our human weaknesses. But now he would know what it's like to be a helpless baby or a growing child or a tempted teenager. He would know human work and weariness, hunger, thirst. He would know what it's like to be despised or rejected, lied to or lonely. He would know what it's like when they misunderstand you or they mistreat you. He would even know what it's like to suffer pain, excruciating pain, and to face death, and then to die one day. He knows all of that and more because he's been there. And so here's the thing. When you find yourself in any of these situations, any type of temptation, any type of testing, any type of heartache, we can go to God and know that other than having sinned, he's been there and he can help us out. You know, there he will help you and show you what scriptures are relevant, how to pray, where to focus, what to do. And at the same time, he'll give you the strength to do it. You see, this is what God wants to do in our life. He wants to lead us out of Egypt. You know, take that 11-day journey, cross that Jordan, and live the life, the victorious Christian living. You see, this is what the world needs. They need to see Christians living like that. You know, it's interesting in Hebrews, uh, if you go over to chapter 4 in verse 15. Notice what it says. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, he can sympathize with us because he was tempted in all points but didn't sin, right? We can run to him. And, and here this passage to me has always been so amazing but i think a lot of times misunderstood a lot of people see this throne of grace they see the throne of grace only as a place to run when they've sinned and and you know i do encourage you to know that it is a place you can run to if you've blown it here there's no sin that god can't forgive he's here and ready and willing to forgive you But that's not the context of that passage. It's not necessarily a place you run to when you sin. It's actually a place that you can obtain mercy and find grace to help not to sin. That's what the Bible teaches, right? I mean, someone cuts you off in the freeway. God help me. They'll say, okay, I remember that one time someone cut me off with a donkey. Yeah, I know what you're you're going through, right? I mean, you know... I mean, you guys, you know, you see a gal dressed seductively. You go to the mall, it's crazy, right? Right across the street. I mean, and you can ask God for help. 
not to sin because he didn't sin. Like I guys say, well, I'm just a man. Well, he was a man too. He didn't sin. He'll help you out with that, right? I mean, some guy at the mall or maybe even the church starts flirting with one of you ladies. Kick him. No, I'm just joking. I'm, you know, <laughs> I think Tony would be all right with that. You know, anyways, some guy, you know, he, he flirts with you inappropriately. And even though you're not getting that attention at home, you're tempted to, to, you know, to soak it all in. You know it's wrong and you can ask God for help. And he'll help you right there and then not to sin. Bottom line is, because God became a man, he can better help us to obey. And that's beautiful. I, I love Hebrews 5 and verse 8. Notice what it says here. It says, though he was a son, that's God the son, though he was God the son, yet he learned obedience. Interesting. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And, and so God, you know, as God, he would never suffer as God, right? But as a man, he did. As God, there was nothing ever to learn. But as man, the Bible says, he learned obedience. And you're like, well, what do you mean he learned obedience? He's always been obedient. It's true. But here's the thing. As God who cannot sin, it wasn't that he learned how to obey, but as the God-man, he learned all that was involved in obedience. How to win over sin as a man. He learned that, what we experience, and therefore he can help us in those things. And you guys know how it is. We experience this all the time, right? I mean, uh, not too long ago, it has been raining. You guys glad that it's been raining? I mean, it's a blessing. We don't deserve it, right? But God is so gracious. And every time it rains, I, I thank God for that. But, you know, it was raining pretty heavy, and my, my kids are, are now at the driving age, you know. And uh, maybe some of you parents who know how it is when your kids make that transition, they're driving themselves. You know, you're thank, you're thank God, they're not a taxi anymore. Thank you, Jesus, right? And, uh, but then it's raining really hard, and it's the first time that they're driving in the rain. And so, what do I tell them? Well, here's the, where the windshield wipers are, how to turn them on, different speeds, make sure you slow down. And if there's a big puddle right there on the side of the road, you know, make sure you don't, you know, go over that too fast. As a matter of fact, you might want to linger a little to the left. And you can tell them all the things. Why? Because you've been there. See, that's what God can do with us. That's what he does with us. You know, we have some uh, missionaries in Cambodia that are down. They're giving classes for those who are getting ready to go to Cambodia in June. And they'll tell you the language. They'll tell you what not to do and make sure you don't make these cultural mistakes because you might offend somebody. How? Because they live there. They've been there before us, you see. And that's what God can do for us. You know, when, when God became a man, why would God become a man, you know? And, 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 and you just read the Bible. One is what to teach us. Two is to help us. And then three is to show us. Show us what? Show us God. Watch, go over to John chapter 14. In verse 7, Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. 
And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You know, when when Jesus came to walk this earth, he came to teach us spiritual truth. He came to help us in times of need. And he came to show us God. And so you, you ever wonder, what's God like? You look at Jesus. If you really want to know, study the life of Christ and You know, especially pay attention to the words in red, you know. I mean, of course, we know it's all God's word, but man, there's something about his life, honing in on his life, that will show you God like nothing else. You remember that passage I referred to earlier in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that the Greek word there used in the text is the word logos. Uh, we get our English word logo from it, logo. And so you guys know what a logo is, right? Right? So you, got, you see the golden arches? What does that represent? McDonald's. I think French fries. McDonald's French fries. I always like to ask people this question. What's better, In-N-Out French fries or McDonald's French fries? Oh, wow. Hey. <laughs> Anyways, um... You see, like the check mark, the check mark logo. What's that, what does that represent? Anybody know? Nike, victory, right? It's, it comes from the Greek word, actually, right? Anyways, um, how about let's see, how about that? What does that represent? Holy Spirit, right? You have logos. You see that? It, it represents something. It symbolizes something, right? And when you see Jesus, He's the logos. When you see Jesus. You see God, see? Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. You know, Hebrews 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. You, know, you want to know what, what's, what God's like? you got to look at Jesus, you know? Sometimes, unfortunately... You know, children will look to their dads and they'll kind of, you know, say, well, that's what God's, the father's like. No, I mean, you know, not all dads are, are godly. And you might even look to a spiritual leader and say, well, that's what God's like. Hopefully you have those type of mentors in your life. But ultimately, you got to look to Jesus only. How is God? You look at Jesus and you realize that he's a holy God. I mean, Definitely see that in his life. I always get so blessed when I read the story of how he went into the temple and he found the self-righteous, selfish gold seekers there in the temple, hypocrites, greedy for gold in the temple of God. And what did he do? He threw them out. He threw them out. Why? Because he's a holy God. He said, I don't want none of that in my house. Right? I mean, we know he's a gracious God. What did they do when they brought to him the woman who was caught in adultery? Right? They knew, Jesus knew the whole story. He knew the heart of it. He knew she had been set up. How does God feel about sinners who are sorry for their sins, willing and ready to repent? Well, God is gracious. God is ready and willing to forgive 
And what did he tell that gal? He said, you know, they don't condemn you, neither do I. But go and sin no more. That's who God is. If you want to know what God's like, He's a holy God. He's a gracious God. I mean, He's an approachable God. You know, when Jesus was walking through and you know, going in different places, they would bring to Him the kids. And uh, the disciples said, oh, He doesn't have time for that. You know, He's a busy man. And Jesus said, absolutely not. You know, let the little children come to me. You know, how many of you guys here, just, you just love kids, right? I mean, I wish I could teach the fifth graders. That's really where I, I would love to be most. They're so beautiful. But the point is, is that God is approachable. You don't ever have to wonder, like, Lord, is it, is it okay for me to come right now? I know you're busy, like running the universe or whatever. Absolutely not. God, he's approachable. God is humble. God is humble. When no one else was willing to wash the dirty feet of the disciples filled with mud and probably poop and all that kind of stuff. What did God do? God was there. He stooped down. He girded himself with a towel. He got some water and he washed their feet. If you want to know what God's like, he's not like the God of, 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 uh, of Islam. The God of Islam is an angry God. He's not a loving God. He's not a personal God. He's not the God of Buddhism. The God of Buddhism has no personality whatsoever. You know, if you reach nirvana in Buddhism, you become like a drop in the pond. You lose your identity. There's no personal relationship. There's no love there. There's no grace. There's no humility. When you want to know what God is like, you study the life of Jesus Christ. And what do you find? He is awesome. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. And that's what Jesus came to show us. You know, what's God like? Uh, One word that stands out, of course, is the word love. And what else can you say about a God who is willing to touch the leper and die for the sinner? And now we know, we know these things because he was willing to show us God. That's why he came One, to teach us. Two, to help us. Three, to show us. And then, of course, you know, the one most important of all, and that is to save us. And we read in Matthew 1, if you would like to turn there. In Matthew 1, you guys remember the story here? Is the angels speaking to Joseph in a dream. And it says, and she will bring forth, in verse 21... A son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, I was, uh, I was just blessed, you know, with the worship and uh, hearing you sing. And I was just thinking about how you have reason to sing. Looking at the words and seeing the truth of them and And then just even thinking about being able to get up here and look at all of you and just to say how you're, you're perfect. You're, you're positionally perfect. You're clean. You're forgiven. You're saved. None of us know if we're going to have tomorrow. We don't know when we're going to die and graduate from this life into the next, but you don't have to worry what's going to happen to you, whether or not you were good enough, whether your good works outweighed your bad works, because you're saved, not by your works, 
but by the blood of Jesus. By, it says in Acts 20, 28, the blood of God. He purchased the church with his own blood. And you and I, even though we're still, you know, not by position, you know, practically speaking, we still fall short. We still sin, but positionally speaking, we're white as snow. We are justified. It's just as if we'd never sinned. We are declared legally righteous in the eyes of a holy God because God came. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, at the end of the day, and especially at the end of our lives, we need more than a teacher. We need more than a helper. We even need more than someone to show us God. No, how do we go to God? That, that's more important, right? We need more than a visitation from Him. We need salvation from Him, right? And that's what Jesus came to do. We need more than a, a pacifist or a scientist, more than a great educator, inventor, or leader. A lot of people are looking to political leaders nowadays, and God can use them, but don't look to them. We need more than a teacher helper or even revealer of God. Although we benefit from all those our greatest need was a Savior. And so, you know, I don't know. Do you think they're going to have videotapes in heaven? Do you guys think? I would just, it would just be so cool if we can go to the DVD, the lending library there in heaven, and whip out the one that says, I want to see the night when Jesus was born. Can I see that one? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. Maybe we pop it in our DVD player and... Uh, and we look at, you know, those little hands born that night. So beautiful, so precious. I mean, I don't know. Um, but just thinking about those little hands destined for a Roman cross. One day where he would be nailed on Calvary so that we can be saved. He was born to die from the from the, the, the cradle to the cross, he stepped off his throne, where Isaiah 6 says, you know, they worshipped him. And he came down here to live amongst us, who despised and rejected him, who spit on him, who beat him, who mocked him, who scourged him, who crucified him. But he did it because he loved us. And he came to save us, to save us from sin. And that's from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and even the presence of sin one day. You know, John wrote in 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. You know, to go to heaven forever by being forgiven today when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. First John chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. You see, that's, that's why God became a man. You know, I love the, the Christmas season. Um, Tony mentioned something, I like the tamales. I really do, to be honest with you. And we usually do gain weight, but then we kind of, you know, get, start off the new year. How many of you are ready for a diet? It's out of curiosity, man. I know I am. You know, and I, I love everything about it. I love all the traditions I've had. Uh, ever since I was a Christian, it became 
meaningful to me. We have ornaments on our trees. We have uh, the lights up and, you know, we go and the, just the different things. I, I love the gifts. I, I've learned now as you get older, you, lo- you learn to appreciate more the giving than the getting, huh? You know, so much about this time of year to me is, is so wonderful. But in, in all the traditions and all the, the busyness of the season, you guys know that sometimes it, it can be a little challenging to make sure that we worship, that we worship him who came to, to teach us, who came to help us, who came to show us and who came to save us. You know, I pray that as we near the end of this Christmas season, that we would have worshipped him, you know, for what he's done in coming for us, you know. And if you're already a Christian, you know, today's study is a, a reminder, nothing new, but so true you know, to teach you spiritual things, to help you win over sin. We could use some of that, you know, to show us who he is and to thank him and praise him for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, right? I mean, if you're already a Christian. But for those of you, maybe you're here this evening and you, and you haven't really given your life to Christ. You know, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. And you're like, well, my mom and dad, you know, they're, they're really involved in the church, Right. I knew this one guy who thought he was saved because he had one son-in-law that was a pastor and one son-in-law that was a priest. And so he thought he was good, you know. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Have you really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? You know, why'd you come tonight? You know, if you came because someone forced you to, chances are you don't really know the Lord. If you don't have a hunger for prayer and the word and a passion for God. You know, maybe you don't know the Lord or maybe you don't know him the way that you should and God's calling you now to a place of absolute surrender and complete commitment. And the bottom line is he came to save us from our sin because our sin separated us from him. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 too, it says the, the wages of sin is death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, I'll never forget the day that I got saved, August 20th, 1989. I had grown up my whole life, gone to church, a different church. I read my Bible. I thought I was good because I had God in my head, but I didn't have him in my heart. And so I was living my own life, doing my own thing. One day, God called me. He called me to make a commitment to him, realizing I was a sinner and I needed a savior. And maybe there's someone here tonight who's in that place where God is calling you to truly celebrate Christmas by accepting the gift of his son that he sent for you, the gift of salvation where he will wash away your sins and he will give you life. And so you have to make that decision tonight. That's why you're here. You know, but you have to admit you're a sinner. I'm a sinner and I I need a savior. Jesus died for me on that cross. He rose again the third day and I believe it. 
Now recently I heard a story of a little boy who was writing a letter to God. He was writing a letter to God just before Christmas and he was telling God his wish list for gifts, right? That's what he wanted to do anyways. And he said, Dear God, I'm sending you my gift list for Christmas. I've been a good boy for the past three months. And uh, as he was writing, he thought about it and he said to himself, hmm, this is God, I better be more honest. And so he, he erased it and he started writing again, I've been a good boy for three weeks. And then he thought again about how he treated his little sister. He erased it, he wrote three days and again, he thought, oh, uh, this is God. He knows everything. He thought deeper. And then what he did, he put down his pen. He walked over to the nativity scene and he grabbed the figure of Mary. And then he wrote again. He said, dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a funny story. But here's the thing, you guys. Bottom line is we won't make it to heaven by being good. Three months, three weeks, three days, it doesn't happen. And you're especially not going to make it to heaven by threatening God, that's for sure, right? Here's the bottom line. This is so simple. It's a gift. Believe. Believe in your heart, right? Believe the good news of the gospel that even though we're sinners, God came to save us. And he loves us so much that he gave his son born to die. That he died for us on that cross, paid the punishment for us, was put to death. But he rose again three days later that as you place your faith in him, that you will be set free and forgiven. And so even though it's three days after Christmas, it's not too late to turn to Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you've drifted away. You need to return to Christ. I tell you what, you guys, this is the, the best way. It really is the only way to celebrate Christmas. Um, the proverb says, uh, my son, God says, give me your heart. And I think that's what we all need to do tonight. Would you say amen? amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for coming uh, these are four reasons, Lord. I know there are, are many more. But thank you, Lord, for coming to teach us spiritual things, Lord. Thank you for coming to help us, having walked in our shoes. Lord, thank you for coming to show us what God is like. But Lord, more than anything else, we are here tonight as a congregation in worship, and gratitude. Thank you for coming to save us. And Lord, I pray if there is anyone here tonight who maybe has drifted away and they need to get right in their heart, or maybe they never received you, Lord, tonight's the night that you're calling them, I pray. Lord, like your word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's nothing that man can do. This is a transaction between God and that person. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that work of salvation, that you would work that work, Lord, of sanctification in every life here tonight. Please, Lord, do that great work. And just as everyone is praying and eyes are closed, 
and heads are bowed. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ or you want to return to Christ, what I would like to do is pray for you. And if you would, just raise up your hand. Thank you, Lord. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.